You're listening to Twitch Asylum Video Game Radio. Welcome to the first Twitch Asylum Video Game Podcast. Before we get started on the main show, I guess it's worth going through kind of what the show's about and what we do. Introduce yourself. All right, yeah, this is uh, Chris Smith. With me is... And I'm Tom Good. Patrick Woodworth. That's well pronunciated. Thank you. I have to enunciate. I can't even pronounce my own name. i got to enunciate. So we decided to create a podcast, and a lot of people go, why another video game podcast? There's like a lot of video game podcasts. Good question, Chris. And and, and what's the answer? Why Why are we doing this? I guess one of the main differences between us and other video game podcasts is we've actually seen a lot of the progression of video games from the early beginning. I know you uh, you saw Pong. I started Pong, I think, was the first video game I ever played. Same. Same here. You played Pong? Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'm a... Uh, must be you. You were a latecomer. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the first game I played was Space Invaders, cocktail version, which I think is superior in all ways to any other version. And the difference is that we don't just play those classic games. We also play a lot of modern games. Like, I have a 360. I know Tom has a 360. Woody uh, hasn't got a 360 yet, but uh, maybe someday. Yeah, someday. (laughs) (laughs) But he has his PS2 and he plays that. So we play a lot of modern games. We're not really biased, and I guess that's another difference is we don't really have a bias in terms of the games and the platforms that we play. Daily basis, I play arcade games. I play old retro games on different consoles, and I also play on the new 360 and, and right. other types of consoles. And, and I've always been the type of person who's owned different consoles from different manufacturers. I've owned Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, whatever. I, right. I'm not the sort of person who says, oh, this is the best. I'm only going to play that. Right. And I think a lot of the podcasts out there today, that's what you get. You get a very biased perspective. I know when I was listening to the podcasts, I had to listen to a lot to get the information I wanted because I like retro and I like modern. And kind of one of our goals is to, in each episode, present a little bit that's both retro and modern so you don't have to go to all these other podcasts and listen to them. So I would summarize the the issue is the fact that uh, no one else knows what they're talking about, really. (laughs) (laughs) And so I thought there should be at least one podcast out there with people who actually had uh, worthwhile opinions. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's one way to put it. (laughs) I guess that's who we are. And uh, I I should say that we are... We do have two shows a month. We'll launch on uh, every other Sunday night. We invite you to come to the forums and tell us, uh, you know, any feedback you have on on the show, positive or, or negative. Twitchasylum.com. Twitchasylum.com. That's correct. All right. Well, I guess it's on to the first segment, which is the weekly rant. So Chris is going to have... I was going to stop there, and then we were going to... The weekly rant. We can still stop there. You can still edit I know. I can stop there. I'm just going to stop there. My weekly rant this week is uh, is about this uh, magazine called uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly, or is it Games Monthly? I don't even know anymore. And, let's, uh, let's just call it EGM. 
They made it to uh, 200 issues, which I, I guess that's a good thing. I'm assuming <laughs> that's a good thing. But uh, I'm, I've been actually subscribing to EGM for longer than I can actually remember. I'm kind of getting sick of EGM. It was kind of funny because recently, you know, prior to their 200 issues thing, uh, Dan Hasu, is that how you pronounce his name? No, no, it's Shu. Dan Shu. The, all right. So Dan Shu, <laughs> <laughs> he had these comments about, you know, his magazine's not going to get any more exclusives because they're not given positive reviews. And Well, he basically accused the rest of the, the magazines of slanting the reviews based on the advertising that they were getting. Right? Isn't that what he said? Yeah, it's basically what he said. And and I guess my deal with that is the, the magazine's somewhat degraded over time into something that's more of a magazine that likes to rip on stuff. It's, you know, like they added Sean Baby to have his little monthly thing about how crappy stuff is. One thing that we didn't say in the introduction is we're all software developers. Right. So yeah. I guess maybe I have a little bit more uh, you sympathy. Know, sympathy for people that produce software products. And, and the fact that EGM is kind of relegated to this whole like this sucks and it's horrible type approach kind of, <laughs> kind of you know, is feels bad. Yeah, I can understand that. And uh, I guess you, you mentioned that, that in Penny Arcade they actually had something about that as well. The whole Dan shoe thing. Oh well, they had just there. There'd been an article recently where they talked about he had interviewed one of the people involved in the launch of the 360, and he had basically oh actually yeah. gone ripped into him about how how is this going to fail or you know and and then he said he asked them you guys asked to re-review some game and we're not going to do that by the way in yeah the yeah, yeah I think the game was cameo and it was a uh, Peter Moore right right Peter Moore yeah yeah. So yeah, was, I read that. I mean, basically, they were they were pointing out that it was rare to see someone doing a hard hitting interview, but that kind of goes along with the fact that you're pointing out that they're apparently staking out the niche of being <laughs> hard cases. Excuse me. <laughs> and uh, I guess that might sell some magazines, but it'll limit who's going to give you stuff to review. Right. And so, I guess my opinion on this whole thing is that I'm not necessarily sure. If it's the fact that they're not giving high scores that's causing people not to want to, to advertise as much in EGM, is they're really not doing fair reviews. And in the reviews, they're really not giving due time to the games that they're reviewing. And I think it's kind of obvious. One of the biggest examples is is a new, I guess, a new person they have doing reviews. Her name is Kathleen Sanders. I don't know if you guys seen her reviews at all. I have seen her reviews, yes. Yeah, and in, in every single review that I look at, A, her scores are low, you know, lower than every other reviewer that I've seen across the board. But in addition, she really provides no content. Like, uh, I recently finished Condemned on a 316. I thought it was a pretty good game. So I'm may maybe a bit biased here. I know we said we weren't going to be biased. And she basically said in her review that it, it wasn't scary and that it wasn't fun. I mean, that's basically the summary of her whole review. She didn't really have any points that were solid in terms of it's missing this particular uh, gameplay feature that I enjoy or or maybe it's too short, or these other things. She basically just said uh, it wasn't scary and it wasn't fun. And to me, that's really not a good review. Well, and like you mentioned, it's, it was clear that she rushed through the game as fast as she can to in order to write the review. And then she wrote things about, well, I didn't even understand what right. the, this meant. Yeah, and in fact, you know, leading on to that, it was the January 20th uh, one-up show, the podcast. Yeah, I know. I was listening to it. I don't know why. But... Uh, <laughs> And they were basically talking about, you know, Condemned. And it was really in reference to the length of games. It was about like three minutes in. She was talking with some other guy. And the guy was actually pretty, seemed pretty positive on Condemned. He's like, I still haven't, some of his quotes were like, he still hadn't finished it. And he thought it was quite intense. 
and uh, he could only like play it in a single session. And I would agree with that. That's kind of the way I played it. And he thought the experience was just right. And uh, Kathleen Sanders was like, you know, I played it for review over a single weekend. I didn't like it. I thought it was repetitive. But all in all, she summarized by saying, I don't get enough time to play the actual games for review. And to me, that's that's a problem. When you're running through a game that's really intended to take longer than a weekend, you're trying to get it done in a weekend. That just doesn't seem like a good way to do game reviews. And some of the other things she said is the whole... This is what kind of really irritated me a bit. But she said the whole story was unbelievably stupid. You collect these dead birds. You know, what? what is that about? In, in my opinion, that's just stupid because I played through the game and the whole point of the dead birds is to unlock what the story is. So, you know, she's saying the story makes no sense, and yet she didn't spend the time to actually collect the things to figure out what the story meant. So, to me, right. that's completely yeah. short-sighted. And just saying that something isn't creepy enough or that you didn't have fun, that that really doesn't provide enough evidence for what exactly was wrong or how it could have been better. I mean, it's it's not really a very interesting criticism. Because right. it, it doesn't really give you much to go on, except this one person didn't like right. it. And the other guy, I guess, in the podcast, he joined in too and said, you know, why collect these birds? There's no real incentive. And, and to me, the incentive was obviously to unlock the rest of the story. It was kind of, I like the story. And in addition, you know, you unlock your Xbox Live achievements, which I guess as a reviewer, maybe that doesn't mean much to you. But for me, actually, that's one of the best parts of Xbox Live is competing with people like Tom, <laughs> since Woody doesn't have a 360. And did you, did you notice, Chris, that this morning I just passed you by about 20 points? Yeah, I'm actually a bit upset about that. <laughs> um, actually, I was yeah showing somebody the forum this morning on TwitchAsylum.com. Yeah, yeah. Plug, plug. And I noticed that your uh, your gamer t- uh, card said that you're 20 points ahead, so I came home and I'm playing Geometry Wars. Oh, no. to pick up that 20. But Well, you're better that, at Geometry Wars than I am, so you're probably going to get that. Yeah, yeah. What are, what are you at right now? Uh, I don't even want to say it's too low. Think about zero. <clears throat> yeah, I still, zero. I still have not cracked a quarter million. Yeah, that's sad. It really is sad. Yeah. So, so I guess to summarize that, I, I don't think the reviews are very good. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that might be the reason that people aren't wanting to advertise with EGM. It could be. But but the the magazine it used to be a lot better, right? Back right. when they had more lengthy reviews right. and, and, and more that, okay. facts. Yeah, and that's exactly the point of their 200th issue. It's like they're going to devote, you know, looking back on 200 issues. And there's like, they had like three pages on on the previous issues. And they, just like they rip on other reviews or or games in their magazine, they rip also on their their history. And to me, that was kind of irritating as well. They didn't discuss it much. Like I say, a couple of pages. And I love this quote. They go, the three-man crew format we all know and love was nowhere to be seen in the first issue. Instead, a single review weighed in on each game with a full-page critique. And as I'm if, like, as if that's a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a bad thing. A full-page critique that actually, you know, the person probably played the game, you know, in its entirety, <laughs> uh, spent time to go through it and gave good reviews. So to me, it's just, it's kind of lame. So I know one thing that you were talking about was that they listed the top 200 games of all time. Yeah. They listed the top 200 games of all time. And I thought that some of them were off. It seemed like to me that, for one thing, that they were combining different criteria where they were some games they were saying were good for historical significance, even though it might not be a game that you'd like to play today. And other games they were saying, well, it was a, it was a great game. And so I think they were discriminating somewhat against games that are very recent because, well, obviously a game that came out last year doesn't have any historical significance. It hasn't probably had any time to influence the industry but it could still be a very good game. Right. But I guess I guess my thing there is maybe when they do it next year, it'll be higher. That's true. Because, it I mean, be. the, the problem is a lot of times, and I think this happens in a lot of different types of industries, you 
the the most recent thing you always get, you know, the highest rating. So maybe they're looking to avoid that, you know. But I don't know. And the, well, the, like you and I talked about, some of those classic games still are really great today. They still are games I would play today, and they deserve the the high rank. Yeah. But I think some of the new games got an unfairly low rank just because they happen to be new. Resident well, Evil Four, for example, yeah. was way down there. There were other games that were fairly new that were way down there. And yeah. I think if that if those games were ranked based on how fun they are to play, they really should have been a lot higher. Right. And I guess my biggest thing was there were so many fighting games in it. I mean, they had Virtua Fighter 2, 3, and which ones? I mean, they had like every single Virtua Fighter. I think Fighter. they had 1, 2, and 4 or something, something like, that. like yeah. that. And I also have a problem with Street Fighter 2 being number 2. To me, that's not the number 2 game. But that's just my personal opinion. I'm sure <laughs> some people think Street Fighter 2 is the greatest game ever. But historically, there's a lot... Better games that could have been on the list of 200 versus all these fighting games. Well, they're just catering to their audience. I mean, their audience can't understand anything more complicated than that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, actually, uh, I've been reading the magazine for a while, so I guess I'm in, I'm in. But you're disillusioned with it now. Okay, I mean, well, I guess that's... Yeah, that's okay. And to me, it's kind of funny. You know, EGM, I don't see... like the, I see the magazine getting smaller over time. It used to be really thick, and now it's kind of getting smaller. Mm-hmm. I really think that has to do with the fact that, you know, the web is so prevalent now. Like, actually, the best reviews that I've found are, like, on GameSpot. Have you looked at their video reviews on GameSpot? They're incredible. I mean, these. It, it, I mean, you get this high-res video with the game, you know, shown, and the person actually going through the review. And I have yet to find a GameSpot review where I felt like the person didn't actually play the game. Because when I actually played through it, I found exactly what they said was pretty much right on the money. And I kind of feel, you know, EGM, like, responded with 1UP. I mean, have you been on 1UP.com? I've looked at it, and and the site was very strange looking. (laughs) Like, you have to click on a link that's the map to the site to even find your way around. Yeah, it's hard to navigate. And the funny thing about 1UP is, like, I'll click on something, and I have to wait for, like, a minute for the actual content to load, like, the header portion (laughs) to load, but it takes a minute for the content. So, I don't know. It's just a really bad site. I think 1UP is horrible. Well, I I think what you're talking about with the the slow degradation of these magazines is is common not just in the gaming industry but in the computer industry as a whole i mean you look back at like pc magazine used to come out with their december or september issue and it'd be almost an inch thick yeah. and nowadays it's it's little more than a a, a flyer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and someday it's just, just going to be under the windshield of your yeah. car yeah. yeah it's just because anyone anyone who's actually interested in computers enough to to read those kind of magazines, has already moved to getting their information from the web where it's free and yeah. better. I mean, but I still personally, I like to have a magazine, like something I don't have to be, because I, I don't know, I'm weird. I like to print stuff out. I like to not sit in front of the computer all the time to read stuff. So I would like to have a really, you know, good magazine, but EGM is just not the magazine. And it's right. Like, it's uh, They need to adjust, but they're not adjusting in a, in a good way. Lately, actually, Tom turned me on to uh, Metacritic.com. Yeah, Metacritic.com is my favorite place to get game reviews because what they do is they aggregate reviews from all these different sources and they kind of give it a composite score of 0 to 100. Of This is sort of the score that it got from all review sources combined. Right. And then you can click on the thing and you can see quotes from all the reviews and you can click and get a particular review from a particular source. And when I look at what's on Metacritic.com and their ranking... It almost always agrees very closely with my own right. experience of but, what's a good game and how much I think something is worth buying. Yeah, you know what's funny about that, too? Who's usually at the bottom of Metacritic.com? <laughs> <laughs> it's usually EGM. So that's basically all I have to say about ranting on EGM and their, uh, making it to their 200 issues. And at this point, I wish they'd just uh, not make any more issues. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reti- retired a high point. All right. Or too late. So uh, we'll be back in, uh, well, for you, it'll be about 30 seconds or even less and talk about what we're currently playing. And for us, it'll be what? Tomorrow? I don't know. I might, <laughs> I'm not sure what's next. Yeah. I got to right. get something else to drink. So this segment of the show is called, What Are We Currently Playing? <laughs> For me, that's easy, although I always play a lot of games at the same time. I don't know about you guys, but I don't finish one game before I start the next. I usually have... because you get stuck and you can't finish it. No, that's, that's not, what it... That's yeah, I think not, so. Well, maybe part of it. <laughs> but, no, really, I usually have like three or four games. But if I had to name one game right now, it would be Dragon Quest VIII for the PS2. And, but... I just got Xbox 360, right? And I have HGTV, Xbox 360, all these new games. Aren't you special? And the and the game that still holds my interest is Dragon Quest VIII on the PS2, which has a very old-school RPG format. The graphics are great, but it's not because of the number of polygons. It's not because of the pixels. It's because it's just a really well-designed game with great art direction and an interesting story. And it's a huge game. I mean, I'm about 50 hours into that game, and I'm only about halfway through. Right. And that's a definition of no life for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, to me, it's the definition of getting your money's worth out of a right. game. Well, my but, wife would never allow me to play 50 hours at Dragon Quest uh, Eight. Well, the thing, the thing is, though, about that game <laughs> is at the point where a lot of games would have ended, where I'm not going to give away the plot, but you get to a certain point where you feel like you've accomplished the goal of the game. And it turns out that not only have you not finished the game, but really that's only the sort of introduction to everything else that's going on. And it's just cool. And, right. and it's, Actually, it, it, it's something that goes beyond, you know, the technology. It goes beyond the polygon count. It Well, and see, what's fascinating, I... The fact that there's a game like that out there that has so much content, I always wonder about how many people who play the game would actually get past that introduction <laughs> right, stage. Yeah, it's currently, and, you know, no, no reviewer right. probably would ever see past that stage. Right. I, you know, I'm glad that you're really liking Dragon Quest Eight, and uh, I think that it should be longer because <laughs> because it allows me to score more points on the Xbox 360 point system and to take a lead on you. So I I, I really like Dragon Quest Eight as well. I, I gotta say. Thanks for your support, well, Chris. Uh, I have to defend. I have to defend your uh, choice of the RPG uh, genre. I, I haven't played Dragon Quest, but I grew up on the Ultima series. And yeah, those are some of the greatest games mm-hmm. of all time. Lord British, in my humble Lord British, Lord British, the man, the myth. Yeah, <laughs> the legend. What's his yeah. name? Richard Garriott. Richard Garriott. Richard Garriott. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I watched the uh, Icons episode with yeah. Richard. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I sent that to you. Yes, you did. You recorded it for me. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, but the fact was, hey, he's a he's he's a strange character in many ways, but but he's very creative and made some brilliant games. All right, so what else are you playing, Tom? Besides uh, Dragon Quest Eight, which it well, sounds like that's taking up most of your time. That's taking up a lot of my time, but I'm also playing uh, on the Xbox 360 Cameo. And Cameo oh, oh, is a game oh, that we've Cameo. talked about. That's the EGM game that got a really high rating, or uh, no? I I don't think they rated it that high. <laughs> But you know what's interesting about Cameo is that 
I've played a lot of Xbox 360 games, and in in certain moments, Cameo has been the one that really made me go, wow, this is incredible. And the scene I'm thinking of is the scene where you're on horseback and you're riding through hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of trolls, and there's this huge battlefield, and it's incredible. And in any other game, that would be a cutscene. But right. in Cameo, that's the game. You're controlling the action. You can turn around and go the other direction. You can do whatever you want. And when I got to that point in the game, I just went, wow, this is something that I've never really felt in a right. video game before. Actually, yeah, I've been playing Cameo. Well, I haven't played it recently. About halfway through it right now, and I kind of got a bit burnt out, so I switched to uh, Call of Duty 2. But, yeah, like, the thing that's interesting to me about Cameo is, like, I'll be sitting there watching it, and I'm like, man, this is a really nice-looking cutscene. And then, it, like, <laughs> I'm just sitting there going, man, uh, there's nothing. Ha- nothing's happening in the cutscene. It's because the game started. I, I can't differentiate the two. It's like, I, is it a cutscene? Is it the game? And, it, and the scene you're talking about, it's kind of like, it looks like they were trying to mimic Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. But, I felt like it was, yeah. I felt like I was watching Lord of the Rings, but yet I was participating. Yeah, it was crazy it, because so. I started riding the little horse thing into the, the whole battlefield, and I was like, mm-hmm. able to like step on trolls, and I was like, wow, yeah, this is yeah. awesome. So the graphics are really good. I like Cameo, but I, I'm just kind of like the boss battles and stuff. I'm not really too into so what else are you playing? You play anything else? Call of Duty 2. Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, sort of the opposite and still on Xbox 360. A much more realistic, less fantasy-oriented yeah. game. There are moments there, too, that are really great where I it really does a good job in certain sections of putting you and immersing you into the experience and making you really feel like you're yeah. there, you're on that battlefield, you're driving that tank or you're doing whatever it is. But the weird thing about that game is that there are also portions where it all sort of falls apart and it feels very scripted and artificial. And it feels like there's some exact place you have to go and thing you have to do. And until you do that, everything's on hold. The, the war is on hold. You know, reality is on hold. There's some very artificial move you have to make to get the story to progress. Right, yeah. I mean, I found that actually in the later missions, especially the American missions. In the earlier ones, I didn't didn't find that too much. Of course, I'm playing it on veteran difficulty. So uh, uh, what are you playing it on? Oh, I'm not veteran. Yeah, so that's good that you don't play it on veteran because you won't get any actually uh, gamer points for it, unlike me. Well, I'm going to go back and play it on veteran after. See, I've I've almost completed it. I'm going to go back and play it on veteran, but I didn't want to start there because I'm just not very good at that kind of game. The American campaign is hard on veteran. I don't know. It's almost like they uh, a different team worked on it because it's the level designs are different. And you're right. There's these artificial points where you have to like go a certain spot before you can actually progress. It it contrasts with the rest of the game where there's places in the game that feel so real and right, feel yeah. so involving. And so to suddenly go from this really involving game where you feel like you're you're feeling every impact of a of a mortar shell and everything to suddenly everybody's waiting for you to open a door or step up to a machine gun. Yeah. It just, it kind of ruins it. And then the final game that I put on my list of what I'm playing right now is uh, the Midway Arcade Classics on Sony PSP. And how do you like that? It's great. And I recently was on a very long airplane flight to Puerto Rico. Oh, and Jeez. Yeah. HDTV, plane ride to Puerto Rico. <laughs> Apparently you have a job. I do have a job. And... So do you. Not so for do another you, day. not day. for long. For one more day. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I had this game with me on the plane, and I'm telling you, that is a great value because it's got all these different classic arcade games that you can play for hours and hours and hours, 
And those are good games to play on a handheld. I played uh, Wi-Fi on that, because I do have a PSP as well. And it was actually pretty good. Every game worked really pretty well, actually, except for Tubin. For some reason, Tubin was kind of strange. Mortal Kombat 2 was great. A lot of the multiplayer wireless stuff on the PSP for that game was really good. Yeah, I liked it. So what are you playing, Woody? The main game is I got World of Warcraft about two weeks ago. Yeah. And really enjoying that. Oh, so that's that's why we haven't seen you lately. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) No, I've been... uh, I played Ultima Online back in the day, right when it came out, and really enjoyed that a lot. But, of course, it was 2D, and it had its limitations. It was a problem. Haven't played another... RPG or uh, MMO since then, and then but I heard so much good stuff about World of Warcraft. Went out and got it, and really enjoyed it. Still starting out, still grinding up levels, but um, the graphics are just amazing. The main issue I've had so far, I started a couple characters, and then people are always asking you to join guilds. And I thought, <laughs> well, that's interesting. There'll be people to play with, and then you join a guild, and then you sign in the next time, and of course it tells everyone who's online that you just came online. So instantly everyone's messaging me, hey, want to do something? Want to do something? I'm not, I don't want to go do something. Maybe sometime I'm going to want to do something, but at the moment I'm just doing my own thing. So I instantly have to abandon that character. So, so wait a minute. You're antisocial in real life and on World of Warcraft? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I get it. Oh, I, I, th- I think I'm going to want to talk to people, and then when they try and talk, I yeah. don't actually. But so that, but that's the... I, so I had to abandon a couple of characters, start new ones just so that people wouldn't trace me and see when I'm online. But I'm still really enjoying it. I figure once I get a few levels in and aren't so worried about just trying to not die walking through the wilderness, <laughs> then I might actually enjoy talking to people and wandering around and doing the group activities. So what's your favorite race and class in World of Warcraft? Uh, I've done a few. I was a human uh, mage. Started that. It liked a lot, but then I started playing with the, uh, some other things. Um, at the moment, my main character is a druid, night elf. And I, I'm having the most fun with that just because it provides such a, a variety of play styles. I mean, you can yeah. you do the bear, and then you, you, you fight like a fighter, building up rage. You, you do the, the, the cat form, and you have the rogue uh, abilities. And then it, and then be your spellcaster. I always enjoy playing the spellcaster roles yeah. in those games. So, uh. so, so, the, other, so the, other, uh, the other thing I'm actually playing right now, too, is a little background. I've been... I've been fascinated by remote-controlled helicopters for most of my life. I always uh, see them in movies, found them fascinating, um, always wanted to get one. So apparently they've been coming down in price quite a bit, and they have these almost tiny ones that you can actually fly indoors. Well, my family, for Christmas this year, went out and got me one of these, like the starter kits of just this tiny cool. uh, little remote-controlled helicopter. Cool. And I was, yeah, it was very neat, extremely excited. And... I was a bit arrogant in that I always thought I always heard about how difficult it was to learn to fly these. I mean, I've just heard spend, that too. Yeah. It's been a long time just learning how to hover it, and that's the first right. thing you have to do. I, I was a bit arrogant. I thought, you know, I I thought most of the people have problems because the helicopter would turn; it's not always facing away from you, so you have to keep your left and right straight. Where if it's facing yeah, towards you, right. you have to do it reverse. And I thought, well, I played with little toy remote control cars. I play a lot of video games. I have no problem putting myself in facing different directions right. doing that. And so I thought, oh, I'll have no problem. So really at the moment, I've still only been able to get the helicopter in the air for about maybe five seconds at a time. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it so just, it really is as hard as they really, say. Really, it's as hard as they say just to get it up and hover. And why is that? What? It's just you, you You have to continually adjust <laughs> the, the sticks. It's not you can't just go up and down. So anyway, the the point of all that was I quickly, the, the main recommendation for learning how to fly these so you don't, spend a fortune buying parts to repair it. I've already had to spend a few pieces to repair it just in the, the less than two minutes total flying time. But the 
the main recommendation for learning how to fly these is you buy a flight simulator for RC. And okay. uh, the one I got was real for the PC. Yeah, PC. Like yeah. these flight simulators for RC vehicles. Well, the the one I got was it's called Real Flight, and it's it's interesting in that I, I was assuming a simulator it would be easier than the helicopter, but they do a really excellent job of simulating. <laughs> so, so, it's just, so it's just as hard. You so you're frustrated. Equally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I started out, but they actually, they provide a, you know, they have a controller that's just like a remote control con- controller, but I've actually managed, I can now, I, wait, in, wait, in wait, 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 it's USB wait, based? So it's what? a USB. So you have a USB thing and it's just like the remote control yeah, you would hold for size. the real device. Yeah, right. yeah, And it's exactly. cheaper when you crash it. Yes, exactly, exactly. And the, and the, the, I've actually in the simulator now. I've managed to. I can actually hover. If you consider hovering, staying in a circle of thirty foot radius, so I can get it in the air and I can wow. keep it like floating in this area and wow. not crash and and all that. But it's still like I I'll definitely I'm saving a lot of money by using the simulator. But it's still it's Great. it's amazingly cool. difficult to learn the flight things. I I really thought that everyone else was just exaggerating or was incompetent. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really difficult. But it's it's. It's definitely not a game because it can get tiring after a while. But it's I've I've enjoyed it a lot. So I'm after, forward to flying my real. Okay, after the simulator, game. have you gone back to the real thing and did no. it, and was it easier? No, oh, you I have done not it? gone back yet because I actually broke this tiny piece. It's probably actually, <laughs> it's probably actually only five. Bought, well, you got also, the simulator too late. It's yeah, exactly. I think the yeah, if only you got the simulator a week earlier. Yeah. The replacement <laughs> piece is only like five bucks, but it's also been you know winter. It's been raining. I haven't had time to take right. it out to a place you're supposed to fly. You're supposed to go to these parks. To... There are certain places you're supposed to fly. You mean you can't just go in your backyard? Well, I will. I am going to. But, like, they, you know, you're supposed to go to these places to fly so you don't get interference from other radios because you don't want other. Uh, can... so... I'm actually going to go out next time you fly just to interfere. <laughs> he's he's going to take a bunch of radio gear out there and just, like, yeah, make I'm you totally crash. like, writing right. and, like, oh, I can't understand it. I, I totally played my simulator forever and I still can't control it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, that's, uh, that's basically all I've been. The only uh, game-like things I've been doing. Right. Chris, what about you? What have you been playing? I've been playing a lot of uh, Dragon Quest. No, I haven't. <laughs> you should. You yeah. should have played it. No, no, no. I've been playing, uh, actually, Geometry War still on Xbox Live Arcade. I've been playing it for a long time. You, uh, you just keep saying that over and over because you have a score that's double mine. Yeah. It's not that high. I've got like <laughs> 540,000. What's your high, Tom? What's Under- your high, Tom? 220. What's your high, Tom? 220. 220. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I know there's a lot of people out there. I read the forums, and they're like, you know, I get seven hundred thousand without dying. So that's like my goal is that um, I'm actually going to be able to be one of those people that post all the the fanboy forums and say that I get seven hundred thousand without dying. But at this point, it's only five hundred forty thousand. But I love that game. Uh, it is a good game. The one thing I would say about it is um, I'm totally into classic arcade games and even restoring the stand-up games. And we'll get into that more probably in future podcasts. And talk about restoration of uh, classic arcade games, but uh, to me, uh, Geometry Wars is kind of a mix between like well, it's mostly like Tempest, you know, and a little bit of Robotron mixed. Yeah, in. it's uh, like the graphical aesthetic of Tempest mixed with the gameplay of Robotron. Right. Yeah, and it, it is like a modern day retro game yeah. or something. It's cool. But yeah. the best part about it to me is uh, is the whole like looking at your friends' scores and comparing your scores to them. On and Xbox Live Arcade. On Xbox Live Arcade, because yeah. I always see that Tom's on playing it, and I'm like, <laughs> he only has 200,000. <laughs> and, uh, and so it always inspires me to kind of play, play it more. And 
I guess uh, the other thing I would say is in our forums, we're going to have our little gamer cards probably as our avatars. So yep. uh, you guys that are listening to the podcast, if you want to join the forum and, and have your avatars there as well, it'd be great to see uh, and add you to our friends list so we can see if... Uh, yeah, that'd be great. I'm sure that you have a million... See how bad we're beating you. Yeah, or getting beaten, I'm getting sure is what the case is. So. so I've been playing a lot of Geometry Wars. I really love that game and Quick Doses. It's, it's really the thing I go to after playing a larger 360 game. And what I've been playing on 360 is uh, Call of Duty 2. And, you know, the game's pretty challenging. Uh, like Tom, there are some issues with having to go to certain places before you progress. And I think we covered that as yeah. well. But for me, I, it hasn't been as much of a problem, uh, mostly because I've just got to the American campaign. Because, again, I'm playing on veteran level <laughs> to reinforce that fact. So, uh, so I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty 2. I'm enjoying that. I recently finished Condemned, and I thought that game was good. I think that's one of the better 360 launch titles, actually, contrary to what EGM says. Besides that, I restored a Star Wars arcade game. So I've been playing a lot of Star Wars arcade, uh, messing with that, just testing it. And I still love that arcade game. It's probably one of my favorite of all time. So to clarify this for the listeners, Chris has a garage full of classic arcade consoles. Consoles? Well, cabinets. Cabinets. The stand-up, you know, the big stand-up cabinet, the whole yeah. thing. The whole thing. It's really cool. Yeah, so I've been, I restored uh, Star Wars, and I've been playing that quite a There's, bit. Uh, there'll be pictures on the website for those of you young, so young that you <laughs> have never actually been to a video arcade. Yeah, there used to be this place <laughs> called, like, an arcade that you could go to and, like, put quarters in things and play them. And they used to have even better graphics than home systems. But That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the other thing I've been playing that's kind of odd is uh, I've been playing the Neo Geo games on my PSP. Yeah. Via the emulator. Yeah. And that's just incredible. And we're going to actually talk about Neo Geo and uh, SNK later uh, in our retro respect section. Later in this show. In this particular show, yeah. In kind of preparation for that, I've been playing a lot of those games on PSP, and it's just awesome. The The PSP uh, emulation of the Neo Geo is great. Uh, I know a lot of people that are doing uh, emulation are looking at the GP2X, but from what I've heard, the uh, PSP emulator, as far as Neo Geo goes, is, is far superior. I'm sure the GP2X will eventually catch up, and then I'll have to buy a GP2X, but for now, I'm playing it all on my uh, on my PSP, so that's pretty much what I'm playing right now. All right. to the new segment. Since this is our third segment, I want to just say uh, I'm having my third Mike's Hard Lemonade. All right. uh, And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. That's great. We're excited for you. Mm -hmm. So this is our new segment where we read and react to news in the gaming industry. All right. So the first uh, story that we're hitting on is uh, is actually in Game Shout, uh, and it's about Majesco and that they're facing some tough times. And uh, so last year, I guess, was uh, really rough for Majesco. They released a couple games, Psychonauts and Advent Rising, and they actually did really nothing. But Psychonauts got great reviews. No, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, it's a great game. I mm-hmm. played Psychonauts and I loved it. But I guess uh, monetarily speaking, they didn't really okay. do much. I guess they've evaluated, this is what kind of sucks about it, is I like Psychonauts, but they've evaluated their portfolio, and based on the bad returns that they had in those two games, they've canceled most of their premium console titles. For 2006 and what they're looking at doing is like doing lower budget games it sounds like well i think that's really disappointing especially given the good reviews that psychonauts got low budget games can be good like some of the xbox 360 arcade stuff it's really too bad to see a studio like that just decide to not go on and, and why do you think it was that they didn't 
have good sales when they had good games. One question I had it might play into that is I have these guys been around for a while because I'd never heard of them until I heard the game Psychonauts and I they had I remember seeing a special on G4 TV where they did this half hour the making of Psychonauts and it looked like a fantastic game and they're talking about it and everything but then it, it apparently didn't sell and I never heard of these guys right, well, before. Psychonauts is Tim Schafer. His game. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, well, I think the reason it didn't sell is because, you know, it's it's it was different. It's like everybody's so into, like, the shooter genre right now. Right. And into sequels and all this kind of stuff. And the mass hype machine, you didn't really see that with Psychonauts. Or, I mean, but I actually saw it. There were quite a few commercials for it. So it was kind of surprising. But I guess it was kind of a weird game in a sense that you really didn't. There's nothing that you could equate it to. So it's kind of like that whole, right. you know, launching a new franchise thing that you hear so much about where people are saying hmm. it's hard to launch new franchises because you're not really sure people are going to respond to it. I think Gun kind of faced the same thing this year. Activision released that. It didn't have right. as big a response. And, and new so, kind of title, new sort of trying to be its own genre of right. old West shooter. Yeah. Anything that's kind of new, it's, it's tough, you know, to get that response. So people are more, you know, like they'll release a new Tony Hawk versus look at like a new title because you know what it's going to do. You know, and, and these games are getting more and more expensive. And so what's okay. the next news story? Well, the next news story is the one I've been wanting and waiting to read. And it's called 50 Cent Goes Platinum. Actually, you know, I, I posted this. You news. did post this. Not, not, not to everywhere, but to our particular yeah. uh, internal site. And this is from the 1UP site. And it says, it's official. Vivendi Universal Games has announced the game 50 Cent Bulletproof has sold a million copies. Right. Now... Yeah, when I, you posted this to our site, yeah. I thought, man, you know, who would buy that game? Because that game has gotten such terrible reviews. I've seen ads for it that look terrible. So I want to read from a couple of reviews of that game. <laughs> so here, here's the first review snippet from EGM. It says, quote, As a game, Bulletproof is a disaster. Your G-Unit allies are so dumb, they had to be made invincible to keep them alive. Your enemies, on the other hand, sense your presence from a hundred yards away and run in erratic patterns as they spray bullets, a frustration compounded by sloppy aiming controls. Bulletproof is a blur of lazy design, pandering gore, and shameless product placement. Yeah. Now that is a terrible review. Of right? course, it's from EGM. It's so. from EGM. Okay, but let me let me follow up with another one. I would me. expect that from EGM. Even <laughs> I'm sure that's what they said about Psychonauts too. Okay, how about GameSpy? GameSpy says this quote. If you want to pretend to be Curtis Jackson, take your 50 bucks out to a paintball range and let somebody drill you nine times. It'd be a better experience than this. All right, so you're thinking they didn't like it? Probably not. Now, <laughs> here's the review from official Xbox magazine. Quote, Fiddy moves so slowly that you want to reach into the TV to pull up his pants so he can break into a run once in a while. All right, can you repeat that first word again? Because that was just so gangsta of you. Fiddy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay, now, so... This story, actually, it literally kept me up at night. I was tossing and turning in bed, and I was literally thinking, why did this game sell a million copies? Yeah, I, I don't know why. And I have a theory. Okay. And my theory is this. like When you buy a third-person game, in a sense, what you're buying is kind of like a virtual action figure or a virtual, you know, playing with dolls, right? So what people are buying is the ability to take 50 Cent and, like, move him around and have him shoot and have him get shot and all this stuff. Like, it doesn't matter if the game's good or bad. What they want to do is have that realistic-looking 50 Cent and move him around and have him get shot. All right, so, Tom, have you had three 
Uh, Mike's Hard Lemonades? No. Okay. All right. Next topic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Thank you. All right. So the next news story is that uh, Sony employed... What what does Woody think? Ah. Yeah. All right. So the next story is a Sony employee uh, was fired uh, for comparing the PS3 to the Xbox 360. This is probably my favorite story, actually. This this guy named Josh Robinson, he uh, he spoke out about the the PlayStation Three, and it ended up him getting actually fired from Sony. So I love some of these quotes. These are great from. He said, "You could always tell where the PS3 dev box was because it's the room that had the f bomb coming out of it half of the day." <laughs> okay. The other thing he said is, I've also talked to people on the technical side of the Xbox 360. The consistent comment I'm hearing from people on my end is the Xbox 360 is better. I'm like, uh, yeah, all right. So here's the funny thing about this. is apparently uh, in his uh, comments, you know, after he was fired, he's saying that he talked to several representatives that work within Sony before he posted this this online and made sure that they thought it was okay to post. And I have a theory on this. It's a theory. <laughs> okay. I've been th- actually, you know, you've been thinking about Fifty Cent. Yeah. And I, I, I'm actually kind of worried about. Okay. You for so, that. so tell us about this one. Yeah, yeah. So here's my theory on this one: is that everybody who works at Sony hated this guy, <laughs> and they're like, "You must post that immediately." <laughs> so they're just because, trying to get rid of him. Yeah, I think they were trying to get rid of him because the only way that I can explain that this guy would, you know, in his right mind, post these things to uh, a public website about the company he works for and not expect to get fired. Can you imagine doing that at your job? No. But you know what? Like, who in their right mind would post to a public website about their employer saying that the competitor was better? Like, That's why, what I'm saying. Like, I, don't, why, I don't understand. Why that. would you think that that was a good idea? What's fascinating to me is why anyone even thought his comments were interesting. Because... <laughs> Because I, I re- see, I read this when it first came out, and I didn't even realize he was a Sony employee. I thought this was a third person that Sony got pressured to be fired. But I, I remember reading even his comments when they, when it first came out, found him in a cache. And not interesting, basically, was the fact that he doesn't even work on the PS3. He was talking about what he'd heard from other people in the company about working on the PS3. And the fact is, yeah, the Xbox 360 is better right now because the Xbox 360 is out. And there is yeah. no PS3. Yeah. Sony's still it's working true. on it. It's out for some people. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, apparently, <laughs> uh, Josh Robinson's seen it. Right. Well, apparently, something. I didn't even sound like he'd seen okay. it. But, you know, but but, but, but but that's the thing is that, yeah, he's talking about what, it, what he's hurt their hand. And, of course, anyone actually working on development hardware stuff, there's going to be bugs. They're going to be irritated. You know, it's, it's, it's irritating working on something when you can go out and look at some polished thing that's already out. But the point is that has nothing to do with how the PS3 is going to be in comparison to the Xbox 360 when it comes out. Of course things are, are, are uh, you know, trouble now. The PS3 is still in development. Right. It, it, it's, but, you know, like, um, there is a, a good ending to the story, even though Josh Robinson got fired. <laughs> What's the good ending? Okay. Apparently, he received four or five job offers immediately after leaving Sony. And uh, and he even got a book deal as a result of this article. So, uh, he has accepted a position at an unnamed company in the Santa Monica area. And this is actually what he's quoted as saying. But while Robinson is optimistic about the future, he has clearly learned a lesson from his experience. And, and really, haven't we all? I mean, haven't we all learned an experience? Like, here's the thing I've learned from this. You shouldn't go on public websites and just, you know, blast on your company and uh, because you might get fired. And that's what I've learned about it. All right. What I've learned is how, how any idiot can get a book deal. <laughs> yeah, I guess I've learned that, too. That, too. 
So the next story is tons of PS3 details revealed at Kotaku. Um, supposedly the PS3 is going to have an online service that's superior to Xbox Live. It's going to have a DVR so it'll function as your new TiVo, which, by the way, I don't believe because I have a TiVo and I don't think anything is ever going to be as good as TiVo. Well, not only that, Sony hates anything new like that. Yeah. They, they don't want people recording their movies. And finally it says, the PS3 will serve as a location-free player for the PSP, which means you'll be able to check out DVDs and Blu-rays from your PS3 Via the PlayStation Portable. Now, I'm not sure I even quite understand no, 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 what that no. means. I read that and I was like, what does that mean? What I'm does that sure, mean? I'm not sure what it means, but it sounds impressive. It sounds great. It has a lot of buzzwords in there <laughs> yeah. like DVD and Blu-ray and PS3 and, and PlayStation Port- Portable. Yeah, but does that mean you download a movie from your PS3 into the PSP to watch it? No, 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 no. No, no. Tom. Or does it mean no, the other no, no, way no. around that you take it, a movie from your PSP and you watch it on no, the PS3? No, you just use your PlayStation Portable to check out DVDs and Blu-rays. But what does check out mean? I have no idea. But I, I, but that's what it says. <laughs> but why would they report something like that? I check don't know. out. Well, again, it's from what what website is this from? Kotaku. All right, enough said. What's the next topic? The next topic. Okay, I'll read this one too because this one this one hurts me. It, it, it says MotoGP on Xbox 360 delayed. Quote, MotoGP has been pushed back at least two months. GameSpot reports the game, initially set to hit Xbox 360 by the end of March, won't make it until May. Now, I love motorcycle racing games. I I ride motorcycles in real life. And when I saw the screenshots of this game, MotoGP for Xbox 360, I just thought it was going to be fantastic, and I couldn't wait for it to come out. And now it's delayed. But this also gets me thinking. When I keep hearing about these Xbox 360 games being delayed, it makes me think, are they really delayed for the reason that they're not finished yet? Or are they delayed because publishers are saying, hey, wait a minute, there are not that many Xbox 360s out there in the market. Why are we going to rush a game to market when there's nobody to play it? Or are they delayed because the people who did the launch titles are complaining to Microsoft saying, hey, we're the ones that you know busted to get these games out on time for the launch, and now you're going to have this second wave of games coming out. And they're going to trump our sales. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to think about, about what the real motivation might be. And unfortunately, it's like people like me, who are desperate for the motorcycle racing title, who are going to be disappointed by this. Why don't you just play Call of Duty on veteran level? Because <laughs> it's not a motorcycle racing game. All right, well, that's good. All right, so the the next article is uh, Activision is uh, writing one revolution in three PS3 launch titles. This is from GameSpot, and they basically, I guess, Activision held a conference to talk about their plans for the future. During the next 12 months, they plan to release uh, five PSP titles and four uh, 360 titles, but the interesting thing is that they said that they're going to release several uh, PS3 and Revolution titles, and that's going to be released most likely in November, which kind of tells us that they're actually planning on getting those consoles out Prior to the next Christmas season. I guess that's the the key thing there. Well, either that or it tells us that they're going to release the games before the console's released. Oh, so they're going to do like that <laughs> Xbox 360. Which, if you remember back, don't you remember going into the stores and seeing Xbox 360 games yeah. in the shelf and they don't have the console? Yeah. Actually, I was going to buy one. <laughs> I kind of felt tempted to. Like, I was there and I was like, there's Perfect Dark Zero. I could buy it now and be ready. That's right. But uh, maybe it'll be sold out. But uh, it turned <laughs> out the uh, games weren't that hard to get, but the consoles were. So uh, 
I didn't do it, but uh, I just think it's odd. But this is kind of good news for me because I was hoping the PS3 would be out, you know, sooner rather than later. And it looks like Activision is kind of cementing that by saying that they're going to have those yeah. out this year. So, it's kind so of good. are you going to get a PS3 and a Revolution too? Uh, yeah, maybe if All I get right. a job. If you get a job, okay. Yeah. All right, I'll take the next one. Actually. Sure, yeah. Um, Are you going to take the next one? Yeah, I, I found this fascinating. On the consumerist.com the website, they had the, an article about um, NVIDIA apparently, allegedly, hiring p- online actors to promote their products in forums around the internet. And <laughs> they, they said, uh, quote, AEG would hire employees to create personas in various gaming communities, slowly building up the trust of other members by frequent posting of unrelated, uh, frequent posting unrelated to NVIDIA to later cash in that trust with message board postings talking up the positive qualities of NVIDIA's products. And they actually, in that article, they have a link to uh, the Penny Arcade website where some a reader had written in and they posted his email about actually interviewing at one of these places in San Francisco. He'd gone in, they'd said he was to have at least 50 identities on as many forums as he could with a goal of five posts an hour. And they told him he needs to write like various things, intelligent commentary on as much as he can. And then he'd just lurk and wait until they came in, an order came in to post some positive review of some game, at which time he would just, he would write whatever they told him. And so it just, it's mind blowing the fact that the, the only way to have any trust on the internet before was to look at the history of people posting. And now they have these people hiring. Well, if this, this is true, story. then yeah, people are being hired to build up this trust. But let's uh, let's back uh, okay. up a minute because five posts an hour that are intelligent. I'm not sure I could do five right. intelligent posts an hour, uh, even if I were right. being paid. This, I mean, this sounds like a highly skilled job to me. <laughs> and who, who's going to who, who who highly skilled enough to have that is going to work there? But that's another point. Yeah, I, I mean, it's alleged that Nvidia hire these people, but they, it's very clear that these there's these companies out there who are taking orders from people right. and from companies. And so we so have to just, be clear that this is a rumor that some people are saying this about NVIDIA. It's not been proven. Yeah. But apparently for the quote I have, yeah, it's, it's alleged about NVIDIA. I, I, they're not returning comments or calls apparently to the people interviewing, which, you know, that says still something itself, but it's, it's very clear that this, this is happening somewhere. It's happening somewhere by someone. Yeah. Okay. Zelda's Twilight Princess moved back another delayed game. It says, uh, this is from Kotaku. It says originally Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess scheduled for April. But it now looks like that may change. While usually willing to take pre-orders on Wishes and Dreams, GameStop is now crushing them by quietly pushing back the release for their number one pre-reserved game to June 1st. Nintendo insists the title will be out this year, which I think it certainly will. However, those quietly pushed back delays are most unnerving. So, Chris, how do you respond to that? You're a big Legend of Zelda fan. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> no, I do, I do Actually, like Legend you're of Zelda. But... I like Le- Legend of Zelda. I mean, back in the NES days. It's an RPG. How can you? Hey, I don't know. I like some RPGs. I just don't like the right. whole uh, massively multiplayer. You just don't like it when they actually require some skill. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <they don't. laughs> so, well, uh, this is kind of funny to me because it's kind of odd. Like, I mean, they keep pushing back this game. And it's odd to me because the revolution is coming closer and closer. So it seems to me that they're almost destined to clash. So and you're so, saying the further back they push it, the more they're going to lose sales to people who buy the revolution yeah, instead? Well, the revolution is supposed to be backward compatible. And the thing I wonder is there going to be some hook from this this new Zelda to the revolution. Because mm-hmm. they've talked about this new controller and it's going to do all these great things. So the more they push it back, the more I start to wonder, is there going to be something there 
that's going to be exclusive to the revolution yeah. to they, draw you uh, in. Maybe they'll yeah. add content to it so that it'll be like it could work as one of their launch titles. Yeah, too, exactly. Carry over. Yeah, it's like by the revolution, and then this game you already have so is so much better. Yeah, so. Yeah. So people don't need to buy a new game when they buy the new console, right? Too. But again, at the same time, they've said it's going to come out to the game for the GameCube, and these uh, poor people who have really not got any t- titles except for maybe Mario Baseball <laughs> in the last. Which, well, remember, there's Mario Dance Dance Revolution. Too. Okay, I'm sorry, Mario Baseball and Mario Dance Dance Revolution. They're going to get this game as well. And I mean, it just seems kind of weird to me that they keep pushing it back, pushing it back. Uh, it was supposed to be pretty close to being ready at the last E3, yeah. and now they're pushing it back again. And with all the work going into the revolution, I just got to wonder if there's some hook there. It's probably not. But at the same time, it makes me just kind of wonder what's going on. And I really think it could affect the sales of either the revolution or Zelda, you know, if they clash at about the same time. And it looks like they're kind of headed to do that. Okay. So the next uh, news article, and I actually just read this today on Xbox.com, so I'm thinking this one's probably true since it's a Microsoft site, is that Halo 2 is coming out for the PC, so Woody will be able to play it, (laughs) Uh, but it's only going to be available on Vista. So what do you guys think about that? Why do you think they chose to, like, you know, not, do you think it's a a technology issue that they couldn't support Halo 2 on existing... Oh, no, no, no. No, it's It's, a marketing issue. Yeah, uh, Microsoft is desperate to convince... For reasons to convince people to upgrade to a new version of the operating system. I mean, there was no reason to go past Windows 2000 for most people. They just, it's all about forcing people to upgrade. And this is actually something they have control over. Hey, this great game, you know, if you don't have a console, you could play it, but only if you upgrade your PC to the newest Windows. So it's just all about convincing people to buy the new version of Windows. So you're gonna, are you gonna upgrade your Windows? We'll have to see. You're gonna upgrade it just for Halo 2. No, no. No, I don't play Halo. I hate it. You're such a hater, man. Yeah. I'm unbiased, I would like to say. So No, I don't hate Halo. I just I do prefer I still prefer a mouse interface for first person shooters, but I, I don't hate Halo. They, it was it's actually the first decent first person shooter on a console. The only reason he says he hates it is when we play it or we used to play it at work, uh he would lose. So um yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, so uh, the next article from uh, GameCloud.com is apparently Atari's in financial jeopardy. They released their numbers, and it's not looking so good for them. Uh, they suffered a net loss of a $4.8 million compared to a profit of $19.6 million for the same period a year ago. So that's not, not sounding too good to me. There's uncertainties about what they're going to do in the future, but they have their plans uh, of the games they're going to release uh, this year, which and there's quite a few of them, like Dungeons & Dragons Online, Mark Echoes getting up, contents under pressure, which seems like that one's been like in the in the in the funnel forever and hasn't been released. <laughs> the ones I'm looking kind of forward to is they're gonna do Time Shift, which is a 360 title, and it's gonna be on the other platforms as well. So hopefully they do get those out, but uh it's kind of bad times for Atari, unfortunately. I, I, I it makes me wonder if that name's cursed because it seems like this press release yeah. comes out about every five years since the eighties. You know, it's yeah. Atari and Financial Jeopardy, and then right. the company starts to go under, and they sell the name right. to a new company, and then it's happened. It's repeated itself a few times. Right, and I don't think they released ET this time though. No, I don't no. think that. that was, <laughs> Right, 
So welcome to the retro respect section. Basically what we do here is we look back kind of in the past of our uh, childhood, back on the, the good old days, as it were. The, the old actual, school games. Old school. That's a good way to put it, Tom. You know, really the games that we uh, enjoyed as kids. I mean, some of my most fondest gaming memories, probably the 80s, I'd say. Yeah. The old Pac-Man, Asteroids, that kind of stuff. But uh, today we're actually looking at a company, SNK, which, uh, can you pronounce that, Tom? You lived in Japan for a while. I think that would be pronounced SNK. No, no, no. The next part, Tom. After the SNK. Uh, no. Shin Nihon Kikaku? Shin Nihon Kikaku. I thought you said you couldn't do it. Well, that's as, as good as I can All do right. it. So in Japanese, I guess that means New Japan Product, which really in English doesn't translate very well. It doesn't make me too excited about it. <laughs> But at any rate, SNK, probably, for me at least, probably best known for the Neo Geo video yeah. game console. We're going to talk about that quite a bit. The reason I we bring this up is there's actually a really good article on GameSpot. And like everything else we talked about, the news and, and everything else, we're going to have links provided on our website, twitchsilum.com. And you can go there and visit it. But there's a really great article on GameSpot that, that goes through the history of SNK. It's a very thorough article. It really yeah, I mean, actually almost too thorough. Because I actually <laughs> almost had trouble reading it all. It was so thorough. But... But it was really interesting. SNK, actually, they're, the span of the company is over 25 years. And probably the earliest memory I have of SNK and, you know, read the article, I, like, remember, yeah, I guess that was SNK, was Akari Warriors. Do you remember that arcade game? It was kind of like Rambo or something. Do you remember that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, no, was a sweet game. And uh, like I say, they're probably, uh, yeah, that beep, I think, meant that I just got email. So I should probably oh. mute that later. But right. whatever. So they're probably best known for the Neo Geo now, the Neo Geo was always, you know, when I was growing up, that was the console that you wished you could afford, but you right. couldn't afford. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was like the super deluxe, high-quality console Yeah, that, you know, you played those games in the arcades and the console was the same and you just coveted that thing. You know, right. That, that was what you really wanted to have. But when you think really of SNK, they really don't have the same brand or franchise recognition that other companies do. I mean, you don't really think about them in the same vein as Nintendo yeah, or right. Sony or even Microsoft, you know, right. as weird as that can sound. But, uh, but the MVS itself, the Neo Geo MVS, that's short for multi-video game system, it was actually in the arcades, and I think actually there even is one down the street, like at one of the laundromats near here. <laughs> they have a, a Neo Geo MVS, and what's kind of cool about it is it used cartridges in the arcade game. You could have like one, two, or four, or even six separate games in a single cabinet, and uh, it was a big hit because, you know, especially with operators, I would think, because you have all these huge cabinets that you're paying a lot of money for, all of a sudden you can just buy cartridges for the MVS, plug them in, and have a brand new game that people can play, so... Uh, I played it quite a bit in the arcade, but in 1991, the company uh, SNK released a home version of the MVS, uh, and it only supported obviously a single cartridge at a time. It was called the Neo Geo Advanced Entertainment System, or AES. And uh, compared to other home consoles at the time, it was a re- it was a real beast. I mean, because at the same time, I think it was competing with like uh, SNES and, and Genesis right. and those kind of systems. The 3DO. Yeah, I, actually, I think <laughs> that might even be pre-3DO. Yeah. Early adopters actually uh, shelled out like five ninety nine for the console, if you can believe that. But that wasn't even, you know... And that was in like $1991, too. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that rate was of inflation. a lot to pay. But it, it had two joystick controllers and like this packing game, which it was either uh, like NOM 1975, which is not stellar in, in my opinion, or Baseball Stars. So not, not exactly two of the biggest SNK titles. Right. And you think about, you know, Neo Geo and it, you think about fighting games. Right, yeah. 
Exactly. Not necessarily baseball. No. Or, you know. But actually, a few months after it was released, you know, they figured out five ninety nine, like nobody can afford it. So they, they lowered the price. But the biggest problem, I would say, you know, with it is that the games themselves cost $200. Oh, much. yeah. They're super expensive. Yeah. You know, every game costs hundreds of dollars. You know, who could afford that? But but what was cool about, I mean, what was interesting is uh, is at the time you're, you're playing on like the SNES and you're like, oh, Mortal Kombat looks really good on the SNES. It's almost like the arcade. But if you really compared them side to side, the arcade was much better. And what was cool about the Neo Geo system is that it was the arcade game. There was right. no difference. When you bought a Neo Geo game, you might shell out $200, but you were playing the same thing you played at the arcade. Yeah. It so, was huge. It was an incredible system for its time. So uh, the biggest thing, I guess, that, that it supported was a, a large ROM size. One thing that they actually did is, like, when they released games, they put the ROM size on the actual packaging. So uh, I think 330 megabits, they said, was the max. And we're talking megabits, not megabytes. So if you divide it by eight, that'll give you how many megabytes that is. So how many is that, Tom? I have no idea. Okay, well, somebody grab a calculator and divide 330 40. by eight. 40. All right, about 40 megs. So not huge by today's standards, but if you think about 40 megs being on an actual cartridge in 1991, that was fairly expensive to produce that kind of hardware. That was bigger than most hard drives at the time, wasn't it? Probably, yeah. Exactly. So, And they were big cartridges. So they printed that actually on the actual cartridge, and every time you powered up the system, it'd say, like, it's so many megabits, because that was, like, the big difference. If you think about the SNES, the largest yeah. game, I think, was 32 megabits, which is, Woody? Eight. No. Four. Four, four, me so four, four megabytes. So four megabytes versus 40 megabytes, so it's a huge difference. And one of the other things that was kind of revolutionary with the Neo Geo AES is it was the first console to implement memory card save technology, if you can believe that. Yeah. So, you know, the SNES and Genesis didn't have that. They had it on the actual cartridge itself. With the Neo Geo, you could save to this uh, memory card. What was even cooler, do you know what the cool feature was, Tom? You could take that to the arcade. Right, yeah, yeah. So you could, like, be playing this thing, save it, take it to the arcade, and resume at the arcade from where you left off on the home system, which is, like, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That'd be very cool. cool. And I guess what they said, too, is, like, the idea there was that people would play the arcade game, save where they were, and then when they got the home game, after they actually saved up $200, they could continue where they were and not have to start all over. Although if I'm paying $200 for a game, I'm probably going to want to start at the beginning and, and, and get the whole experience, but maybe well, now, it's just me. Now, do do we know how many they actually sold? Because I don't actually remember anyone who had this. I mean, yeah. apparently you were aware of people, or you had one. I didn't have one, but I played one. Okay, yeah. See, but I, I, I never even, I never saw anyone who had the any yeah. sort of the stuff like this at home. I mean, it was fascinating to see at the store, but right. Yeah. So in 1991 was kind of a big year in video games. You know what happened then? And and I guess EGM would be really excited about this. Street Fighter Two. Yeah, Street Fighter Two was released in 1991, and so SNK like, you know, they're doing really well in the arcades with this whole MVS system, but not so well at home. So they're like, we need to like, you know, counter this. So SNK kind of after that point really got into the whole fighting game genre. So they followed suit with Fatal Fury, also known as how do you pronounce that, Tom? Oh, um, it's Garou Densetsu. Densetsu in Japan. Garou Densetsu. Thanks to uh, Capcom and SNK, you know, arcades were kind of dying. And I know this because I was at college, and there wasn't much going on. I basically <laughs> played Adam's Family Pinball. And then all of a sudden, uh -huh. we were getting all these fighting games. And the MVS and uh, Capcom Street Fighter Two were like the bomb.com. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Before so, the days when there was a .com. Right, yeah. That was the bomb pre.com. Yeah. 
But the uh, unfortunately, the uh, SNK Home Entertainment System continued to get like not that good of sales, you know, because it was just you know there's lots of reasons for it. We'll get to this in a bit. But uh, late in the game, you know, after they they created a ton of fighting games, I think we'll go through those in a bit. But yeah, but they later released a CD version of the Neo Geo, and the games were only fifty bucks. Not but, so bad, not like two hundred. No, not two hundred, and like the same games. Play, hey, load them off CD. We don't have to spend all the money to make these cartridges. But it was kind of a little bit too late because uh, what arrived at that time, Tom? Do you know? Uh, Sony PlayStation. Yeah, PlayStation arrived about the same time as the Neo Geo CD version came out. And unfortunately, uh, it was kind of you know doomed from the start because now once the PlayStation came out, it had superior technology. It has 3D. Yeah, it's 3D. Although I don't know if you can still call it 3D compared to what we're looking. I don't. Well, you know, Tomb Raider, stuff like that. It was 3D. Yeah, yeah I guess you can call it 3D. But So it was kind of doomed from the start. Unfortunately, it came a little late. But I, I think if the Neo Geo CD came out earlier, you know, they would have had a shot. Yeah. So that's kind of the history. And like I say, you should check out GameSpot or, or hit our page, and uh, you'll be able to get a link and, and see the history. But, but one thing I want to really talk about is, like, what are our memories of SNK? You know, how did we see SNK? Yeah. Well... I remember playing a lot of those games in the arcades, and they were games, a lot of them were the fighting games. Like, I didn't really play Fatal Fury that much, but Samurai Showdown was a great game in the arcades. It made a huge impression on me. It was this game where, you know, you're fighting with weapons, there was zooming, there were all kinds of cool moves. It was kind of like the soul caliber of its time. Yeah. You know, that's how I would describe it. It was, it was so much fun. Well, yeah, the cool thing about the SNK system, like, versus, say, like, Street Fighter 2 is it had a multi-plane scrolling. Yeah. So, like, Street Fighter 2 had, like, a single, like, scrolling background with, like, people who would pump their hands. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time you win, they, like, go faster. I'm like, is it going faster because I won or just because it's not doing the processing on the characters moving so it's all of a sudden going a little bit faster? But whatever. Uh, SNK had the multiple scrolling backgrounds. It was cool. And also had a lot of the zoom effects. Yeah, the so zoom effects. I like that. And uh, Samurai Showdown was a great game. But really, what I remember like initially is Akari Warriors. Yeah. I played the game a lot. I was big into Rambo. You that's know, John that's Rambo. the one I remember. And yeah. uh, I got my C64, my Commodore 64, which <laughs> I still miss. I need to get another one someday with my 1541 drive. Hey, oh. you can run a website on the C64 now. All right, so I played it on my C64, and uh, I had a lot of fun there. And eventually on my NES, I played uh, Akara Warriors, and uh, it was a great, great game. And I, probably the thing I remember most about the AES system, the Advanced Entertainment System, is that I would go to this place called Incredible Universe. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, like, Incredible Universe apparently decided to uh, open a couple stores. I think they're owned by Tandy. I'm not sure if that's yeah. correct. Yeah, that is. They opened one, like, in Houston, like, Texas. Right. And one in Wilsonville, Oregon, which makes perfect <laughs> sense. But fortunately, uh, we lived in, in Oregon at the time. So we went to this place called Incredible Universe. It was a huge store, which is actually now a fries. Yeah. 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 And like, uh, I remember waiting like two hours to get my card so I could actually enter this place. So I entered this place. You and wait. You waited two hours just to get into the place? Yeah, oh, yeah to get they in. They make yeah. you sign up and you get like a little card. You get a card. Oh, yeah, and then they scan it. You guys, were, you, you guys had some patience for, for I being as the young two hours, as you were. Dude, I, I was in, in college, you know. Like, <laughs> I just had a few beers. I went and stood in the Incredible Universe line. I, I made lots of friends. All right. Well, this was huge. This was back in the day. It was hard to find a store that had yeah. interesting there was no tech best equipment. Buy. I mean, your, your best your best stores were like Radio Shack. Right. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but... All right. Well, not... But in that ballpark, you, okay, you yeah, know yeah. what I'm saying. So how so, does this relate to the Neo Geo? Oh, we're talking about Neo Geo? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I was at the Incredible Universe. You walk in, they have the huge, like, multi-level, huge TV screen that's, like, six panels hanging from the ceiling. You're like, ooh, look at that. That's neat. Yeah. And on the right side, they had the whole video game section. You know, and they had Genesis and SNES. And this is before they had a lot of big displays at stores. And they had them all set up and ready to play. And I walked to the back, and there it was. The AES system. Had its own display. Had the controllers that looked like an arcade game. Cool. And it was playing Super Baseball 2020. Which, actually, I thought was a great game. And I played that in the arcade. It was sweet. I just went back there, and I played for like an hour. I played on that, and everybody's coming up and like, wow, look at the graphics of that compared to Ken Griffey Jr. baseball that was playing right down the <laughs> aisle on the SNES. So some of my best memories of Incredible Universe were going there and playing actually the AES system and dreaming about the, you know taking it home. But I was like, man, I might be able to get the system, but I can't afford any of the games. And I really don't like Baseball Stars or NOM 1975. So <laughs> those are like some of my most vivid <clears throat> memories. And yeah. I'm, and, there, you know, also on the Neo Geo was King of Fighters. And, again, I played this in the arcades. And, you know, cool fighting game. You got to pick a team of, of fighters. You had to be able to switch, you know, during the same match between different fighters. It was cool. And another game that I really remember about Neo Geo in the arcades was this really funny, stupid volleyball game called Power Spike. And the funny thing about the game is that it was a very confusing and very unforgiving game that really made you master precise timing. So what I used to love to do is get somebody, like my brother, for example, to play two-player Power Spike Volleyball with me because anybody who hasn't played it before or hasn't played it very much just doesn't stand a chance because they don't know the, the quirky timing and they just always lose every point. And it's hilarious. It's like a great game to get somebody to play against you. Metal Slug was another... Yeah. Great, great game, and it's still fun today. Yeah, I've been playing that. Like the, there's even versions for the Xbox and Metal Slug. I've been playing that, and it's it's a lot of fun. So, what do you remember about Woody? Or you, you kind of missed the whole uh, Neo Geo thing. Missed the home console. I Ikari Warriors is probably the most fan, the one I remember yeah. best from there. But uh, I do, I do remember seeing it at the store. Why do you think the Neo Geo like AES system failed? Just too expensive. Yeah, it was too expensive. And it, the other thing I'd say is that it was kind of limited. Because they kind of went on this whole like we're gonna we're gonna beat Street Fighter two so like everything that was coming out was like fighter you know, like a fighting game and they didn't really have any long like adventure type games not that I would have cared and and not really <laughs> any other games of any other genre it was kind of limited it was mostly scoped to fighting games so I think that even if it had been affordable I still think it may have not caught on because it really didn't have the um, the breadth that you really saw with like the SNES or the Genesis at the time. And obviously the CD version coming out late and colliding with the PSX, that, that wasn't going to work. So It was a great system, though, and I still have fond memories of playing it. And actually, you can uh, play it today in quite a few spots. Like You can pick up the AES system fairly cheap on eBay. I've been looking at them. I'm thinking about getting one just because it's nostalgic and has the really nice controller. Uh, you can also get the CD system, but the CD system, the problem with that is that uh, the controller is more like an SNES controller, where I like the the arcade-type right. controller. It's got the big uh, joystick and the, the six buttons, and it's got those those cartridges with the megabits written on it, and I, 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 I need <laughs> you that. you got to have that. Um, there's also the ability, you know, besides getting the CD system, which, like I say, is cheaper. If you want to play the game, that's a good way to do it. The AES is really the, the best way. But there's also a thing called the Super Gun, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with no, Super Gun. No, no. 
basically what a super gun is, is it's a device that you can get for your TV that will play like JAMMA, which is J-A-M-M-A, arcade boards. So you can plug them right in and play them on your uh, television set. So I know a lot of people have actually bought the uh, Neo Geo uh, JAMMA board, plugged it into a super gun and played it on their TV. Hmm. And the cool thing about that is you can play other JAMMA boards, any kind of arcade you know, that's JAMMA compliant, right on your television screen. So that's a good way cool. to do it. And there's a lot of, well, not a lot, but there's some Neo Geo games that have appeared on other consoles, too. Like, there's the Metal Slug series. I know Metal yeah. Slug 4 and 5 have come out for, I think, Xbox, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's the other one? Um, I think it came out. Samurai Showdown, a version of that came yeah, out Samurai for Showdown Xbox. Samurai Showdown 5 just came out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I haven't played Samurai Showdown 5. I, like, got stuck at 2. I think that's about as high as I went on the Samurai Showdown, but it's a good game. And obviously the emulators, like playing it on the PSP. Yeah. I think that's uh, pretty much it for the the first episode of Twitch Asylum. All right. And like I said, it's a bi-monthly show. Check out our website at twitchasylum.com. Hit the forums. Give us some feedback, positive or negative. We're down with all of it. Uh, We look forward to uh, seeing you guys online and talking to you. We'll see you in about two weeks. See you soon. You can make your own iMix. Woody spilled his drink. Oh no. No, there's none left. The other was I could see it at the bottom, dude. There's no way. That's what she said. <laughs> but you know how you, you know how you can make your own iMix on iTunes? Yeah. And you can upload it and people can download it and no, all this. I, I don't know what you're talking about. No? You haven't you've never done that? I've never listened no, to it. No, I've never podcast. played uh, fifty hours of Dragon Quest either. Yeah. <laughs> But you can make your own you can make your own mix and you can upload your mixes. People can download it and then if they like that mix they can like buy the same songs off of the iTunes store or whatever. Have you done that, Woody? I have not. But have you can't okay, so so you can do this, right? So I made an iMix right. and I and I titled it Songs About Sex. I have no life. No, it's called oh, Songs yeah, About sorry. Sex. And it was all pop songs that are about sex. About- and I got this email from Apple saying your iMix has violated the terms of service. Like, you can't have an iMix that's called Songs About Sex. But the thing is that hey, those, Tom, those songs really are about sex. It keeps moving and it's going to make the thing pop. All right. But it's like the songs, the content in the song is so much more explicit than the content of the title of my mix. <laughs> but it's like you can, so you're going to sell me the song that says all this stuff? But I can't name my mix songs about sex. That's weird. All right. <laughs> That's our corporate overlords for you. All right. So welcome to the retro respect section. <laughs>